It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, August 25th, 2020. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The city of Sitka is moving forward with plans to rehabilitate the Green Lake Power Plant. It's applying for a loan to help fund the first phase of the project, but that process is moving more slowly than anticipated. So when the Sitka Assembly meets tonight, it will consider budgeting an additional $1.3 million towards the project to prevent delays. According to a memo from the city administrator John Leach, the city is applying for two low-interest USDA loans that the Assembly approved earlier this year. But high demand for the low-interest loans and the coronavirus have slowed the process. Leach said the city needs to hire a contract in order to keep the project on schedule. The Assembly will also discuss CARES Act funding. Though the $14 million budget was already approved by the Assembly, the city administrator agreed to bring an update to each meeting and allow for public comment. In other business, it will consider rezoning a residential lot on the former Sheldon Jackson campus as a cemetery at the request of the Sika Tribe of Alaska. The Assembly will also consider the promotion of two city staffers, Melissa Haley to the city finance director position and Antonio Rosas to building manager of Harrigan Centennial Hall. The Sitka Assembly meets at 5 p.m. for an audit work session, followed by its regular meeting at 6 p.m. in Harrigan Centennial Hall. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. Crystal Duncan became interested in local government this fall while working on an initiative to remove a controversial statue from a prominent place on city property. She's now one of eight candidates vying for a seat on Sitka's Assembly. KCAW's Catherine Rose spoke to Duncan about her newfound interest in running for local politics. My English name is Crystal. My Shlinket name is Gaiyatri. I follow in my mother's lineage, so I am from the Eagle Brown, Brown Bear Clan out in Angoon. I'm Tequedi, and I am a child of the Kiksadi, which is my father. He originates from Sitka. Crystal Duncan works with the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium as a regional liaison to search. She recently earned her master's in business administration from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She doesn't have previous government experience and did not intend to run for public office. That is until this summer when she began to organize an effort to move the statue of Alexander Baranoff from in front of Centennial Hall. And I realized on July 14th that I had no idea how to get that done. I wasn't sure if I reached out to the city, the tribe. How does this all work? Yeah, as I was at the assembly meeting where they were going to take a vote, I looked up and I realized that I didn't see myself reflected in the current membership. And so that had me bringing up questions of access and diversity. Duncan says she was troubled by the lack of diversity at the assembly table. But if we look back at the 2010 census, uh, we saw that approximately 37% of this community is made up of people of color, and that 49% of this community is made up of women. But when we look at our current representation, I don't see myself and therefore others like me who are represented in that group. Duncan says she's also moved to run for office due to all of the changes 2020 has brought to the United States and Sitka. She says she commends the current assembly for how it's handled the coronavirus pandemic. So whether it was wearing masks in public or quarantine restrictions related to travel. Those are big decisions, and it was kind of resting on uh, seven folks. So, But she thinks the Assembly's work to address challenges with COVID-19 is far from finished. We're not through COVID. We're still in the thick of it. And the person who is elected into this position, they're really going to have to hit the ground running, and that's something that I think I could do.
As an assembly member, Duncan says she wants to draw on both community and expert knowledge. There are going to be unknowns, but there are people who are experts in these fields. The experts on the community of Sitka are residents of Sitka. And I'm here, and I guess my goal over those three years would be to open up those lines of communication and just ensure that people feel comfortable accessing um, this power structure. You'll be able to find more information about all the candidates running for office in Sitka on the KCAW Election Hub, which will be available online early next month. School started yesterday in Juneau with classes that will remain virtual for the time being. Students and teachers hope lessons learned last spring and during the break will carry over into the new school year. KTOO's Adeline Baxter has more. This is not how Linnea Lentfer imagined her senior year of high school going. It was a disappointment, but not a total surprise. Lentfer grew up in Gustavus, but came to Juneau to attend Juneau Douglas High School Yada'a Katle. She says when students were first sent home as the pandemic spread in March, None of them would have guessed they'd still be attending virtual classes five months later. There's people from that day who I'm quite literally never going to see again, like the people who I just say hi to in the hallways every day. And then it's just like, oh, we're out for a week. We're out for a month. We're not going back to school. Now with classes starting up again, Ledfer may be luckier than some of her peers. She has a lighter course load as a senior. Still, it's hard to imagine how her oceanography class will work virtually. I haven't heard from the teacher specifically. I'm pretty sure that we will have some opportunity to come in to school in small groups for labs, but I'm not sure what that looks like. The Juno School District announced earlier this month that it will begin the school year online. Depending on the spread of COVID-19 in the community, the district may decide to allow small groups of students to attend in-person classes after Labor Day. But large numbers of students won't be allowed back until at least mid-October. Kelly Stewart is the president of the Juno Education Association. She's also a special education teacher at Glacier Valley Elementary School. In March, when we shut down, we were in full survival emergency mode. And I think our staff did a fantastic job at um, doing the best they could at something that was so unknown. This time around, Stewart and many of her colleagues have spent the entire summer planning for the new school year. Staff members spent the last two weeks training with the programs they'll use to keep track of students. It's still going to look different, and we're going to probably have to work a little harder to engage and get kids involved, but I think we are much better prepared now than we were in March. Stewart said teachers will also be collaborating in groups to help support one another and to help students become familiar with more than one person. So that when they do come back face-to-face at school or we do move to the hybrid model, that they are going to um, already know six to nine adults because they've been working with them. Staff handed out textbooks and supplies to students and their families all of last week, and they'll continue to do that through the first week of classes. The district is providing Chromebooks to students that need them. Even with all the preparation, Stewart says there are bound to be some hiccups with technology. The rollout of one of the apps teachers will be using is already a little delayed. And Lentfer says she worries that getting to know her new classmates won't be easy. Earlier this year, when her classes moved online, she already knew everyone. And so being on Zoom, there was already kind of a classroom culture and just what what that will look like when we start on Zoom from the beginning will be really interesting to see. She's grateful that she still has the cross-country season to look forward to, even if they won't get to travel. They had their first meet on Saturday, competing remotely against other Southeast teams. She just hopes that her senior year won't have to end the way it did last year.
I mean, I really hope we get a little bit more of a graduation and um, kind of all of those end of high school pieces. That's definitely a hard unknown. Classes for grades 1 through 12 begin Monday. Kindergarten starts Thursday and preschool next week. Ketchikan's pandemic risk ticked up from low to moderate on Friday after state authorities classified three recent COVID-19 infections as cases of community transmission. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, local authorities are asking businesses to reduce their capacity voluntarily. Community transmission, or community spread, that's the term epidemiologists use when they can't track down where a patient caught the coronavirus. As Ketchikan Emergency Manager Abner Hogue explains, three cases may not seem like a lot. But as you look at the source of those cases being community transmission, and when you understand what that means, it's a little more important or a little riskier category than, say, just the overall number of cases. That's because of what the term community transmission implies. And so if you think about that, what that means is for each case of community spread, there's at least one other person somewhere out there who's infected that we don't know about. The three people diagnosed with COVID-19 are employees at the Ketchikan Indian Community Tribal Health Clinic, according to the federally recognized tribe. And of course, it's possible that all three caught the coronavirus from the same person. But public health couldn't say that definitively. And so we have to go on the worst case assumption, which is that there's three other cases of um, positive infection out there that we don't know about that could still be spreading within the community. Last month, Ketchikan's Emergency Operations Center rolled out a data-driven tool that assesses the area's pandemic threat level, and the three recent community spread cases bumped the level from low, or level one, to moderate, or level two. Hogue says that with the change in threat level come new recommendations for businesses. At level one, restaurants and gyms and offices and everything can open fully at 100%. We know in some locations that 100% doesn't really allow for good social distancing. So we're asking businesses to take that step to make sure that they reduce their capacity on their own to a level that allows them to maintain that distancing. Some of Hoag's other recommendations include requiring reservations at restaurants and appointments at salons. He says those steps would make future outbreaks easier to track. An important note, though, they're recommendations, not mandates. Each person is going to have to evaluate what actions they're going to take on their own. But in general, what we're asking people to do is be aware that there's a higher risk currently. Hoag says he's asking everyone to step up their hand-washing, mask-wearing, and social distancing, along with cleaning frequently-touched surfaces. And he's asking residents to keep their outdoor gatherings to 100 people at max, or 50 people for an indoor gathering. I'm Eric Stone in Ketchikan. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is